Are you a HubSpot user looking to stay up to date with HubSpot, inbound, and all the information that will make your job easier and help you and your company grow better? Each week, the Spot brings you the HubSpot education, ideas, and tools that you need to maximize your success, make work just a little bit easier, and of course, brighten your day along the way. Listen in as Julie, Doug, Max, and George share their authentic, entertaining, and valuable conversations with the people who really matter. That's right, you. Ladies and gentlemen, let's give it up for your HubSpot journey heroes. Welcome to this week's episode of The Spot. Ready, spot, go. And we are back with another episode of The Spot, where we're going to talk about all things fun and interesting. And if you've been paying attention along the way, you realize that we are now in the episodes of episodes where they came out of another episode. Anyway, you would have to be watching or listening to understand what I mean by that. But today I want to start uh, by saying, hey, we miss Max. Max is our guy, but he can't make it today. And I want to ask all of us, myself, but I'll probably go last. Why? Because I have all editing power. You have to watch another episode to understand that as well. But I want to start with a question for you, Julie, and for you, uh, Doug, today to get us started off. And we're going to talk about friction. But what is uh, a point in your life that you correlate to friction? Like if you think of uh, man or, well, I will actually, I'll I'll just say, what is a point in your life that you correlate to friction? George, you got to start giving us these questions in advance because I'm First of all, my dude, first of all, it has been in the show notes since I shared the show notes. So just letting you know, I did give it to you in advance. <laughs> oh, you mean there's something other than the article in there? There I is. See. There is. It's I in guess. the ready spot. See, that's how go I got into trouble in college is I gave away that I didn't actually do my homework by asking. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I took so one Doug, of those I'll tests. give you a little time. I'm going to go first. Um, I love it. Yeah, yeah, I got you. Um, so I thought about this uh, a bunch, um, George, and I was like, well, what causes friction in my personal life? What causes friction in my professional life? Like, what are some of the things that I won't bore people to death when I talk about? And then I came to the conclusion that the things that cause friction, right, are kind of the boring things, right, and on a day-to-day basis. So, and they're kind of similar things personally and professionally, right? The stuff that you kind of have to grind on the stuff that's hard, the stuff that takes longer than you feel like it should, but has to happen. Like those friction points for me are really what I was thinking about. And they all sort of fall into this project management type of framework for me. Um, right. I think as a marketer, client manager, human manager, right? I always have a list of things that need to get done. Um, as a human, I like to have, uh, like a home and a physical space and a like digital space that's organized in a certain way. Um, and that causes friction, right? Right now I'm organizing my pantry at my new house and I'm trying to figure out how a bunch of stuff will fit together and I'm trying not to buy a ton of new things. And I'm trying to make sure that I have myself set up for success during the week so that I can meal prep or actually cook dinner. And it's not too annoying to clean up and it's a system to keep up with, but keeping up with it is easy, but also it's gonna be a little bit challenging. So 
those types of things to me are are friction points in my life for better or for worse. Mm, I like I like how you end ended that for better or for worse. We'll, but we'll get back to that. We'll get back to that. Doug, Doug. Um, this reminds me of like when you get a test and the top of the test says, um, don't answer any of these questions, but then you answer all the questions. Uh, what just happened a little bit ago at the beginning of this episode. But when you think of other than right now, friction points, this episode. How do you know that happened to me like that? <laughs> when you think of friction points in your life, wh- where do you go? Um, so thank you, Julie, for buying me some time. I appreciate it. Uh, Here to help two points in my life that I would associate with friction, 1995, 1996, and 2002, 2003. Um, 95, 96, I was a really good sales rep. Um, in 93, I won the Tom Hopkins champion boot camp first place trophy. It's still to this day, the largest trophy that I've ever won. It's like five feet tall. I was in camp. I had to figure out how to bring it back on the plane. You learn, you know, you had you had to demonstrate mastery, like forty-seven different objections, how to overcome, you know, everything about old-school sales. And man, I was a really good old-school sales rep. But the thing that was interesting is I didn't really always like myself when I was selling. I, I oftentimes had to be something that I didn't want to be because I thought my job was to make people buy, and and so it, you know it led to a conflict. Now, ninety-five, ninety-six was a um, was a period where I really, I got stuck in Houston airport, actually, one of the giant windstorms and sand whipping up, stuck down with an AST 16 Shades of Grey laptop. And I had a Jerry Maguire moment. And I called it Death of a Salesman. And it was selling in the information age. And I kind of had this whole rethink of, you know, why did people not like salespeople? By the way, one of the biggest complaints that you hear from salespeople is they don't always like what they're doing when they're doing it. They oftentimes feel like they have to be something else. One of the lessons I learned is if you ever feel like you're selling, you're doing something wrong. You know, what, what categorized that was I wasn't free to do what to do what I felt I was supposed to do. Now, the good news is it led to, you know, basically everything that I do today is, is a result of that. 2002, 2003, I was a financial advisor at Merrill Lynch. Every day, a news article came out about how Merrill Lynch was screwing over their customers, which was a nasty place to be. Um, and, and I saw firsthand how an organization that put itself out as an advisor and a caretaker to individuals was far more interested in managing their stock price than they were in managing the value of your portfolio. My manager would come into my office every month and say, how are things looking? And I would, uh, I'll, I'll spare the specific words that I, I'll use. I told him get the hell out of my office, basically. Uh, and the reason was he wasn't asking me how are my clients doing. He was asking me how am I doing to my number. And, and I'm a firm believer that you know you hit your number, hitting your number is a byproduct of. But but more so, what I was supposed to be doing, which was to create optimal strategies for my clients to achieve their to achieve their objectives. I saw more and more the company that I worked for was working against what I was supposed to be doing. Um, and, and so there again, what, what, what you'll see in those two stories was situations where I found myself, where the structure of where I was worked against what I thought was the right thing to do. It, it, it is frankly the number one rule in my life now, which is when I make big decisions, I focus in very, very heavily on 
what level of agency do I have? Do I get to control, you know, do, do I get to live in alignment with what, with who I think I am? And that kind of drives what I do. So anyways, those are the two places where, where I would associate as being high friction. It's interesting. It's, it's, uh, in high friction. Okay. We're going to get back to that too. So Julie's, uh, for better or for worse, Doug, high friction. Um, it's funny when I actually wrote this question in the show notes, I was like, <clears throat> I don't know how I'm going to answer this. And uh, I was quickly then almost like, I don't, I don't actually want to answer this. Uh, but I had already typed it and I, I had already shared uh, the outline and I'm like, well, the, now we're in a pickle. And so I went through very much like usually the process of like, well, I, I it's not exciting. And it's like, but it may, maybe it's not supposed to be right. Like friction, maybe it's not exciting, but it's important, right? It's very important. Again, we'll, we'll dive into that a little bit. For me, um, I actually go to about a year ago. Because there's this terrible pattern that happens in my life. I want to get healthy. Uh, I don't get healthy. I want to get healthy. I don't get healthy. I end up in the hospital. I want to get healthy. I don't get healthy, right? And and a year ago, uh, maybe a year and a half ago now, um, it got to the point where, and yes, folks, I am telling a, a personal story, but this translates into business as well. A year ago, it got to the point where I could not almost stand up and could not walk to go like from my recliner to my kitchen. And I tried everything to figure it out. Like I quit drinking coffee and I like tried all these different things. And I like it, it, uh, talk about friction, not being able to move um, in the way that you're used to being able to move. Uh, that's friction. And um, I would say that it's bad friction. At least then I would say that it was bad friction because it was painful. It hurt. Uh, it, it slowed me down. Uh, it affected me mentally, physically, right? Because when you're not right in one area of your life, you're probably not completely right in, in another area of your life. And uh, so to make a, a what could be a long story very short, I was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis. And uh, I'm like, well, that's crappy. That, that this is crappy major high friction point um and and talk about for better or for worse it could be for worse like it could be for worse or you can take these friction points in your life and you can make them for better and, and that's where i think it's interesting because the conversation that we want to have on a business level is is friction always negative or is friction always positive or can friction be both negative and positive? And the answer sounds simple, although many times the things that are simple in life can actually be very complex. And there's a whole complex and simplicity conversation in the link in the article. The link is in the, the show notes, by the way. You can dive into that a little bit more. See how I tied that in there, Doug? But for me, I have realized that that friction was good friction. Because it's that friction that caused me to end up losing 65 to 70 pounds. It's that friction that caused a chain reaction of dominoes to make me think a different way, be a different way, break the cycle of wanting to be healthy, not be healthy, wanting to be healthy, not be healthy. So I'm curious, spinning back around, Julie, you talked about project management and tasks and organization. 
Um, is that friction good friction? Is it bad friction? Like, do you, how do you feel after the things are in place? Doug, your friction, those two times in your life, like it was probably hell, high friction going through it, but how did you feel afterwards? So, so I'll let you guys unpack both of those, but really the question is, is friction always bad? Uh, wax poetic on that. I don't think friction is either good or bad. I think friction is. I think it's the implications of friction. Um, I think it's the context of friction that, that, that determines. I mean, if, if there, there are two forces that, that, that determine any behavior. There's promoting forces and there are inhibiting forces, right? Promoting forces are putting power behind something. Um, inhibiting forces are restraining, right? They slow things down. They, they right? And, and so the context of the situation and, and really it's the consequence of that, that determines good or bad. I, I think, you know, again, friction itself, it just is something that's, it's just inherently something. The question is, is it intentional? Is it not intentional? So I know one of the things we'll talk about is an example of good friction. I'll give you a great example of good friction. The treads on your tires, the treads on your tires, slow you down. They also keep your car on the road. It's why NASCAR, when the moment it starts raining, like the first drop of rain, they either have to change their tires or they pull over because those tires have no friction, right? And so they have no hold, they have no traction. I'll also say this, I believe that every event that has ever meant anything to anybody in their life is, a, is an event that included friction. Every event, every great thing that's happened to you has friction as a part of it. We just don't think of the friction when it's good. Right. So, so friction has a negative association to it. Right. And it, it's almost like, you know, if you notice the whatever, it's bad. But there are times where slowing us down, financial advisors underperform their customers. One of the main reasons why they have zero friction to buy or sell. And by the way, there's all kinds of research that shows that. Me having to talk like the single best thing that I ever did for my clients was when they had an impulse, they reached out to me and I just slowed them down and made them think about it. You know, I can't tell you how many times I have thanked the spirits above that Google, the Gmail allows you to recall a sent email, right? I, I hit send and go, oh, wait, what? Oh, whoops. I, I, I'll tell you, I would love it if, if Gmail... Um, had their little algorithm, how they're now auto-completing, where if you know you could program certain moods that requires you when you hit send, you have to do a capture code. Because how many times do we wish that we just thought before we sent, right? And those are situations where, gosh, we wish we wish there was some friction. Yeah. Right. And and so like in your event, you know what happened to you created friction that now forced you to think about something that you didn't think about before, right? I, you know, Jim Rohn probably said it best. Easy to do, easy not to do, right? If it's easier not to do it, then you're not gonna do it. If it's easier to do it, you do it. One way to make something easier to do is bring force, you know, promote behind it, make it easier, make it more obvious. But another way to make something easier to do is make the things that you don't wanna do harder to do, add some friction there. And so, and so the question is, what's the outcome that we're looking for? How do we apply it? The reason that friction has such a negative connotation is because 
all the places where friction occurs with no purpose. And friction with no purpose is almost always going to lead to a negative um, outcome or at least a negative effect. Yeah, so so much good there. Like literally rewind. There's there's so much there. Julie, what what are your thoughts? I mean, I could basically say the same thing, except my example of positive friction, Doug, just so you know, is usually walking. So closely related, you know, uh, glad we're on the same page. Uh, I'm a big believer in positive friction is really what it comes down to. Um, I don't think everything should be easy. I don't think making things easy or frictionless all the time actually solves for anything. So purposeful friction, I suppose, as you're calling it, Doug, is really key. Um, But I really do think that positive friction exists in the world. It exists in the our personal lives, it exists in our work lives. Uh, and it's, it's important to keep in mind and ask, you know, why do I think this should be easier? You know, I know I have like a very silly example of friction in my life is project management, but it's the thing that sets up the rest of my life. Like my entire life is basically an exercise in project management. And I have folks on my team sometimes who say like, well, if we're doing this and we're doing this from a project management standpoint, aren't we just doing that twice? I say, well, we kind of are, right? Yeah, I can understand that that's a friction point, but we're doing it twice for a reason. And there's a specific reason why we're checking and double checking or we're doing and documenting or we're X and Y, right? And those are the points to me that if you know why you're introducing friction, because because you can introduce friction, just like you can resolve friction or remove friction, you know why you're putting that on the table and you can articulate that and have it make sense, then it makes working through the friction a little bit easier because you understand the outcome. A wise person once said, measure twice, cut once. Mm, yeah. And yeah, sometimes and it- if you're me, you measure twice, cut once, and it's still wrong. Oh, man, I, I tell you. A big element on project management where, you, where, where we've increased friction is checklists, right? How many times do we jump into a project, we jump in and start doing things, we get halfway in and we go, oh, I forgot X, right? There, there, there's a reason that pilots by law basically are required to complete a checklist before they fly, you know, before they go through. There's a reason that doctors and surgeons complete a checklist. There's a reason that nurses have checklists, right? It slows you down at the point where you want to be slowed down so that you can speed up. Oh, there's, there's the uh, slow George, down. Has anyone ever said up. that to you before? Yeah. Yeah. The whole slow down to speed up thing. Woo. We could have a, that, that should be a whole nother episode to be <laughs> honest with you. I, I have heard that Tw- so many 20 times. 20 years ago, I said, tw- 20 years ago, I started teaching in our, in my sales training. The fastest way to shorten the sales cycle is to slow down the sales process. Right. And so sales reps go, you know, we, we try to go to the close. We try to get to the recommendations as fast as possible, right? And, and, and really our whole formula to sales flips it. Instead of spending 20% in, in, in qualification, for lack of a better term, and then 80% presenting, discussing, overcoming, and this, we spent 80% of our time diagnosis, diagnosing and designing. And, and if you're spending more than 20% of your time, quote unquote, selling, you did something wrong. And people go, well, how can you do that? that that's going to take too much time. I go, well, it's going to take too much time before you get to the, you should buy this, but it's going to take a whole, whole, whole lot less time once you get there. And you'll also be allocating your time much more effectively. If you look at the sales teams that we coach, they manage fewer opportunities, right? Because we bring in the friction to identify 
let's get things out that shouldn't be there as early as possible so that we can then go all in on the things that should be. That's another place where you have to bring in friction to make that happen. And where Julie, what, what I think you were saying too, is with this obsession of eliminating friction, we're actually increasing that, that negative effect, if you will. It's, yeah, you know, and, is, and it's impacting client satisfaction, it's impacting churn. This is a great place to get uh, into your article uh, or the link in the, in the show notes. But before we do that, I, I'm glad that you guys actually like you both used examples of good friction, right? You did a, a tire uh, walking. Um, I too brought uh, an example of good friction. Like I want everybody that's watching or listening to this to imagine yourself that um, you're in a dark, cold cave. Okay. Let that sink in for a second. You're a dark, cold cave. The only thing that you want is you want some light and you want some heat, right? Again, you're in a dark, cold cave, and now I want you to strike that match, but there's no friction in the world. You cannot light that match because that friction causes the flame. It's what will allow you to start your fire. It will is what will give you light and heat, so it's positive. But the thing that you have to think about, I love that, Doug, you said it's, it's not positive or negative. It's just a thing. It is a thing that is out there. I like that we leaned into this purpose or, or my word for 2021 is intentional, like intentional friction, the checklist, the examples that we've given. I love those. Doug, what I want you to do, I want you to give us a, a synopsis on the link that we put in the show notes today. And uh, I definitely don't want you to leave out the mythological story or parable that is in this article as well. So kind of tell the viewers, listeners, um, if they dive into this, uh, what they're going to find. And then we're going to circle back around and we're going to talk about um, yours, Julie's, my's take on this whole intentional friction uh, when it comes to business and maybe next actions people should take after they uh, read this article. Yeah, so so the, the post is called Sisyphus for Sisyphus verse the flywheel for those of you who aren't familiar with sisyphus he is the greek mythological mythological uh character who was forced to push a stone uphill for eternity which um i think we can all um after 2020 i think most of us could probably uh empathize with that and, and you know so the idea is you know the, you know the, the flywheel has become a very common metaphor for growth principles you know hubspot has you know, kicked out the funnel and, and adopted the flywheel, but but the flywheel existed before them. Elon Musk is a big fan of the flywheel. Jim Collins in the book Good to Great talked about the flywheel. Um, and, and I do agree. I think the flywheel is a tremendous uh, metaphor for good growth, because if you manage the flywheel correctly, it stores up momentum and energy and generates greater velocity with less and less effort. The problem is when we bring the human element into it, and especially when we apply it to sales and marketing, we view things through that lens of increased force. So if we want that flywheel to go faster, we do more and more and more. And that has been the dominant play in all sales and marketing organizations for the last 50 years, right? Just take a look at your annual plan and how much more are you trying to do? Do more, do it better, do it with less. That's been the mantra. But, but what we forget is force has benefit. But its benefit is limited. What has unlimited benefit is reducing the friction associated with that flywheel. If you're working with just an individual single flywheel, then eliminate friction. There is no good friction in a 
true, true flywheel. The reality is the business flywheel is actually multiple flywheels working within that flywheel. So you begin to bring in constraints, bottlenecks, rhythms, and things like that. So now you're having to orchestrate and align to be able to maximize that. That's where sometimes you got to slow this down to align with that. That's why you have good friction, bad friction. Now, the other element, and I'll get it, um, into more of a summary of the key points, and I think this gets into the metaphor that you're talking about. And, and to me, I actually want to talk about a scientific principle, which is understanding how the second law of thermodynamics applies to business growth, right? The second law of thermodynamics says entropy is always increasing. Entropy represents disorder and randomness, right? In simple terms, as things go forward, randomness and complexity and disorder increases, Right. And that now entropy is also a measurement of heat. It gets into a whole bunch of other things. But the truth is simply living every day you live, you pick up increasing complexity, randomness, and disorder, right? That has to be managed. When you add growth to that, you're going to increase the rate of randomness and chaos that you get, and you have to manage that. And, and so here again, what we have to do is friction is not a bug. It's just a natural aspect. It is always there. It is not eliminate, it's manage, right? It's again, looking at it as not being good or bad. And so, you know, the, the, you know, the post really talks about a couple or really five key elements. The first thing is we confuse the word complex and the word complicated. We think they mean the same thing. They do not mean the same thing. As a matter of fact, they mean very, very different things. And we have to understand that we live in complex systems. And that means they're impacted by and impact all the other systems around them. And they are dynamic and they're adaptive. So it is never one straight thing. There's always a changing circumstance. Understanding, you know, when you're managing the complex, there is no right answer. There are some wrong answers. It's about managing between, I'll call it managing between zero and one. It comes down to Everything is about making trade-offs. If we add friction here, this is the advantage. This is the disadvantage. If we take friction away, this is the advantage. This is the disadvantage, right? There's always, the question is, what are you trading off to? So you've got to be clear on what your objective is. That gets what I said earlier around context. That leads to the way to, to deal with this. I was, you know, when we used to have to fly to places that we hadn't been to before, we're at a meeting, it's running long. We got it. We, we know we have to catch a flight. We finally get into our rental car and we're like, oh my God, I don't know if I'm gonna have enough time. Gotta return the car. Am I gonna miss my flight? We're driving down the highway. You know, every tenth of a mile, we're seeing a, a road sign here, an exit sign there. We're going, it feels like like I should have seen the exit by now. Did I go too far? Did I miss something? And we keep getting exposed to more and more and more information. And every time, every road sign that we get exposed to, our anxiety levels shot up because we didn't know how to process that. We didn't have the map. Well, now we have GPS systems in our cars. We know if we're going to miss the flight or, okay, it's still okay. Okay, I'm still okay. Okay, it still looks I'm okay, right? So that context comes in. Well, we're, how many people have that map for their business? How many of you have truly mapped out your customer acquisition and retention flow, right? Literally that whole piece, and realize you're never going to map it 100% correctly, but you can't have a hypothesis. I think we talked about this on a previous episode. If you don't have a picture of what is supposed to be to be able to identify, well, what was different, right? And so we end up, you know, jumping through this randomness of, you know, this, that, and, you know, we, we become kind of that pinball machine effect. That leads to creating a true modus operandi, 
right? That's your word intention, right? The way you deal with this is it's intentional. By the way, to be intentional requires friction because to be intentional means you have to stop, access your system to thinking, which eats up an awful lot of energy and we're not gonna think if we don't so slow down. But you know what? We don't have time in execution to slow down like that. What we have to do is we have to do that thinking in advance so that when we come to these situations, we have maps in place. This road's closed, no problem. I got a GPS system. It tells me what my options are. I can make that analysis and very quickly take that next step. That's why playbooks, documented intentional playbooks are so important, right? Realize you have a playbook. It's just a question of, is it intentional? And is it documented? And that's what brings kind of this whole idea of revenue operations. You know, kind of the way I look at it is traditional sales and marketing, they're, they're primarily responsible for managing the force side of the flywheel occasion. Revenue operations, primarily responsible for managing the friction side of the equation. And again, you'll notice I said managing, not eliminating. Julie, thoughts? I mean... Do I have additions? Not really, right? I think we've established in previous episodes that Doug and I are really on the same page when it comes to this topic, but I think it can be helpful to think through a specific example on how all of this stuff kind of webs together. Uh, and I'm going to really slim it down to a very simple marketing example. One of the things we think about with force and friction, right, is let's just take it all the way back to generating leads and having sales work those leads. Strip all the other stuff about business out of it. If you think about spinning the flywheel, right, you could say your lead gen efforts are designed to increase force because you're trying to fill your funnel, flywheel, whatever situation with more leads. And if I think about that in a silo, if I think about that on an island as a marketer, and I'm like, well, I'm generating traffic to my website. I got a lot of new eyeballs looking at things. They're turning into leads at such and such a rate. I want more leads. So I'm going to change what I'm doing from a conversion standpoint to get more of those new eyeballs that I think are really good to convert. So I'm going to look at my forms on this content marketing offer, and I'm going to eliminate phone number. And all of a sudden, I see a huge increase in leads. I'm like, great, I have added force to the flywheel. I'm having a positive impact. Things should be spinning faster. I do my end of month reporting, follow up with my BDRs. And they say, well, you know, the, we got all these additional leads, which is awesome. Uh, I don't have any phone numbers. I kind of got a lot of main lines. I got a lot of gatekeepers. I wasn't able to connect with any of these leads. So I decreased friction for my site visitors and got them to convert higher, which I thought would push things forward and add more force in my flywheel. Turns out when that handoff point happened, I maybe didn't oopsie, right? Because instead of having a, um, a call rate or connection rate of one metric for BDRs, which I thought would hold true, I took some information away from them. And I, this is oversimplified as an example, right? But I took information away from them that turned out to be really important for their process and they were less successful. So I might've thought I was reducing friction and applying force. I actually slowed everything down and I'm gonna have to recoup from there. When I think about positive friction and purposeful friction, I'm really thinking about what's the next step and maybe even what's the previous step 
and how do we sort of optimize along the way? So what is the greater implication? What's the ripple effect of doing this thing that I think is designed to apply force or reduce friction? And what does it mean three steps away from now? I, I love that because I when I listen to your story, Julie, and I love, by the way, I love when we simplify things. I think people inherently can get it. I, I envision your story and what Doug was talking about, how there's multiple flywheels in a business. And, you know, visually in my mind, when you were telling your story, I I saw the marketing uh, flywheel spinning so fast that it was ripping the uh, actual pieces off of the sales flywheel. And so it, it was then going so slow. Um, it was like destructive at, at that point. And, and I don't think that that's something that people think about because historically we have and we we can again we've talked about silos silos are good silos are bad but but we've talked about this thing of historically we have not had a revenue or rev ops or 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 a a look across the entire board everybody on this podcast at this point now is really stepping back and looking across you know, sales, marketing, support, finance, HR. And so if you're watching this and listening to this and you're not taking a step back, slowing down to go faster, seeing how the individual flywheels work together to actually be in somewhat of, of a intentional harmony, then that's definitely a, a next action item. Guys, can you believe that we've already blown through our time for this episode? <clears throat> Pardon me, it's, it's crazy. Like we just... Here's the thing. I'm going to let people know that I put a link in the uh, show notes for other examples of positive friction. So if you don't believe that it can be positive, go and check these out. It's pretty cool. I also put a link in because I love Doug's uh, article, uh, Sisyphus. I was like, huh? I put a link uh, in the show notes to actually a video that talks about that whole uh, mythological story uh, and pieces and parts of it. So you might enjoy that if you want to go check that out. But here's what I want to close with. I want to close with Doug, Julie, and this is spur of the moment. This isn't in the show notes at the bottom of the of the thing. You know, when we've had this conversation, we've talked about a lot of things, intentionality and flywheels and and, and all of this. If somebody's sitting here at the end of this episode and they're like, what do I do next? How do I move forward? Drill down to one simple thing that you would say to that person to send them on their way. Matt, your customer acquisition, retention, and expansion. I think it all starts with that. By the way, you'll notice I didn't say, Matt, your sales, marketing, and success processes. The moment we bring, the moment we start talking about sales, marketing, success, we're now taking an internal focus which is not going to optimize. Let's map the, the acquisition, retention, and expansion. How does that happen? How is that supposed to happen? If you're thinking about this professionally from you know this, this lens of acquisition through success, right? Think about your handoff points when things move person to person, whether that's customer to internal or internal to internal see what points of friction you might have there and why you have those friction points to help you see if that's good or bad, or if it's something that should be eased or um, if it's something that should be kept and explained. 
Yeah, I love that. Uh, for me, I am going to tell you to go read the article. And when I say read the article, I want you to go to the article with an open mind. As I read the article, it's funny because we historically talked about insights, like writing for insights. I physically could feel Doug hitting me with about three two by fours during this article. <laughs> and and so uh, the complex uh, conversation, uh, by the way, uh, give me a little chuckle on the uh, the Twitters uh, at Doug Davidoff, at George B. Thomas, at Max Jacob Cohen, at Real Julie D. When you get to the whole pig section, now you'll really have to go read it because you have no idea what I'm talking about. But when you get to the pig section, tell me what you think. But also playbooks, uh, that's huge in there. And then, of course, at the end where we start to talk about something that's very important. So go check that article out. Uh, the other piece for me personally is if you're the person who is running so fast that you're destroying the rest of your team, check yourself before you wreck yourself. And we will see you in the next episode.